I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. We've said it quite a bit this season, this idea that the Eucharist is not an idea. It's not this thing. It's not this holy object. It's a person. It's a person I encounter. It's Jesus Christ present to me, body, blood, soul, and divinity, consumed, adored, received, that in experiencing the Eucharist in every iteration of that, I am different as a result. I am no longer the same when I've received the Blessed Sacrament, when I've sat in front of the Blessed Sacrament, when I've allowed myself to more fully understand the reality of Jesus present to me in this way. And, and we can say that every which way. We can talk about the various ways the Eucharist transforms us and changes us and encourages us. But I think there's a part of the conversation that we haven't yet had, and that is the way the Eucharist heals us. The Eucharist is the key to our discernment. The Eucharist is the heart of our family. The Eucharist is that which transforms our communities. The Eucharist is the very source and summit of all that we believe. But that the root of our human existence, we are wounded, walking wounded men and women who have struggled, who have hurt, whose hearts have bled, whose lives have experienced great hardship. And even in the midst of great joy, there can be challenge. And certainly in the midst of great challenge, there can be found joy. But that the Eucharist is with us in all of that. And that truly in the encounter of the Eucharist is perhaps where healing can be found most of all. We did a series on healing at the beginning of this year where we talked to a variety of different people, mental health professionals, individuals who've journeyed through various addictions and struggles. We, we did a mental health series years ago that was wildly successful when this podcast began. And there's a story of healing that I've heard a couple of different times from a couple of different perspectives. Jake and Heather Kim I've known for a few years now, Heather and I have become quite close. And knowing their story, which is one of encountering great pain, of woundedness, that's certainly not just snap your fingers, everything's fine now. Hey, we went to mass, we're healed. But a story of walking through hurt with Jesus, of journeying to healing with Jesus, of being, as Jake explains in the conversation, taken blessed, broken, and given the very same way the Eucharist is brought to us. Of the conversations we've had this season, I think this one, smack dab in the middle, is really one that must be heard because encountering the Eucharist, not a holy object, not a person, not a thing, not an idea, but encountering Jesus Christ is the most profound thing we can do as human beings. Nothing else holds a candle to it. And if there's wounds, if there's hurt, if there's sorrow, if there's sadness in our lives, it is the Eucharist that we need to draw close to. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It's part of our entire Ave Explorers series on the Eucharist. Find everything we've created at AveMariaPress.com. Right up at the top, there's a big banner that says Ave Explorers. Click on it. You'll find everything we've made for this series, all completely free. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single thing. But for right now, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Heather and Jake Kim about the Eucharist being our source of healing. Heather, Jake, it's great to see you all. Welcome back to Ave Explores. Thank you Thanks. for having us. Thank you. It's always a treat to get to chat with you guys. I, I tell my husband, there's like a list of people that I want to hang out with together as a couple. And, and you guys are top of that list. So this Aww, is like selfishly, I'm excited to get to hang out with y'all and to chat with y'all. 
also for our listeners to get to listen to you. Tell us who you are, where you are for, I think the first time y'all are coming to this show from two separate rooms of the same house. So that's nice. We got two clean recordings. Jake, Heather, Kim, who are you guys? I don't, Heather, I don't even use her. (laughs) Well, yes, we are Jake and Heather and we are right now we're in British Columbia, just outside of Vancouver. We have three children, two are in college. One is a junior in high school, a couple dogs. We live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And it's here that we have a local apostolate called Life Restoration Ministries. And and that takes on a lot of different things. We do events, we do formation, we accompany people. It's really about helping unlock the heart. And part of our work is in the area of, of healing. Jake does a lot of work with JP2 Healing Institute with Dr. Bob Schutz. He has a podcast, Restore the Glory and Way of the Heart, two podcasts. And then I have one called Abiding Together. So here we are. Yeah. So happy and to be Heather, with you. And Heather, you also have an amazing book yeah. called Abide, which is a lot about healing as well. So. Yeah, published by Ave Maria Press. We should tell folks (laughs) the link will be down in the show notes. That's true. Um, You said a phrase there, Heather, that I want to hear more about: unlocking the heart. Tell me about that. What's the What's that mean? Yeah, Jake. I think it's a it's a way to express, on one hand, what we believe God's called us to do uniquely in our lives, our marriage, and our ministry. But I also think it's something that almost everyone can resonate with, which is I, I have this desire for more. I want more. I don't necessarily know how to articulate it. There's a whole process and it's almost like this journey where you go through various stages and in each stage, there's a, there's various things that need to be unlocked. For some reason, I'm thinking of an escape room, but I don't know if that's a good analogy right (laughs) now, but maybe a better analogy would be like, the interior castles where, you know, through each progression of our relationship with God, there's the new mansion or the new room, whatever analogy you want to use there, there's unlocking that has to happen. And that's classically called, you know, freedom from sin, growth and virtue. I think a new evangelization way to say it would be healing, unlocking the heart. So it's kind of the same thing Christianity has been doing the whole time, Mm -hmm. but a way that really resonates with us. Yeah. Where did the desire to do that work originate from or come from? Because it's very specific to want to help people go deeper into themselves to recognize like this is who God has called me to be. These are the rough edges that needed to be sanded down and smoothed out. Here's the hurts that need to be reckoned with. Was that just uh, you woke up one day and thought we've we've healed in a lot of ways. We're going to hear that story in a minute. We want to help other people get there as well. Or was it, you know, kind of like a Somebody asked you to do it. Mm. Well, I say, uh, you know, it kind of started early on. Actually, for me, before Jake, right before Jake and I met, I was on a, a ministry team. I was, you know, in evangelization work and I was sitting in the chapel praying one morning and I got the scripture, Isaiah 61, which is, you know, Jesus quotes later in Luke. And it's his his mission where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor and release to the captives and the prisoners. And, you know, it goes on and on. And I was just, there was something about the hearing of that. You know how you can hear scriptures a whole bunch of times and it means nothing to you. And then the Holy Spirit just Mm. breathes on it. And then suddenly it's impacting every part of you. And it it was that kind of experience. It had, it had a significant weight to it. And I was like, whoa, like (laughs) this is something I need to press into. And then a year later, it was announced as the scripture for the Jubilee year in the year 2000. I was like, whoa, like this is, <laughs> this is really 
This is really big. The Holy Spirit's speaking again, you know? And so when Jake and I got married, that was one of the scriptures that we had mm. as a part of our, our wedding. Little did we know what God had in store. So it was like God was proclaiming something and speaking something prophetically into our life in a unique way. Of course, that's the call for all of us to take on, you know, to, to partner with Christ and his mission. But for us, it was a unique way. And then I would say, you know, as we entered into our marriage and and everything started to be exposed in our own lives, it was like the Lord was saying, it's going to start with you. You think that you're on mission because I was already, like I said, involved in evangelization. And I was like, had a heart with burning passion to like get out there and share the gospel with people. And it was like Christ was saying, there's a whole lot I want to do in you first, because I want you to witness to this from a very personal, you know, perspective. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's, I, I would say where that all kind of began. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say for me, it's two things come to mind. One is for some reason, I never liked my name, Jacob. And maybe it was because it was always put in the context of Jacob, what are you doing? You know, like maybe that was the reason <laughs> I didn't like it, but something that was interesting. And again, it, you know, we, we say these, Oh, I had this time of prayer, this time of prayer. And those are meant to be normal. So I just want to normalize that for everybody. Times of prayer where God speaks and directs your life. That's called being a disciple. So for me, I remember a time where I was just talking with the Lord about my name and how I wasn't a big fan of Jacob because he's the liar. Like he's mm -hmm. the, he's, I, did, I was like not very proud, but then the Lord's like, well, he, you did wrestle with me. That's kind of cool. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. Now we're getting there. <laughs> But the thing that really struck me was, and this is where it really landed, was for me, Jacob becomes Israel and mm. Israel is representative of the chosen people. Mm. And so what I felt like the Lord was saying is, I'm called Jake. So it was like, Jake, I'm asking you to experience and live through things that my people experience and live through. And I want you to show them a way and show them a path through it. And so my name all of a sudden had very rich meaning. Mm. And it seems like that's just been kind of our story. One of the things Heather and I take really seriously is we want to try to live it before we preach it. And Bernardo Clairvaux has this whole thing about reservoir and canal, which is a fun analogy. But one of the things that he says when he's talking about the difference between a reservoir and a canal is he says, people, when you're a canal, what goes in goes right back out. And what's a reservoir stores things up in your heart. And he kind of takes a shot at people who just hear a really cool concept and then put it in their next talk mm -hmm. and then just say it to somebody else. And he says, we're so quick to just say what neat idea we heard, but we haven't actually integrated it. And that's been really convicting. Now we do, Heather and I do that, but it's something for us that we have a hard time with just saying another nice idea instead where we want to actually live it and have our hands dirty in the soil of what that idea is like to actually have it grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Heather, you have this thing about, you know, John Paul II and being ground down by mediocrity. That's been a huge part for you. And we have this weird thing of we're never quite satisfied. And that's a blessing and it's also a burden because it's like, gosh, can we, can we be content sometimes? But I think it's because we're longing for, we know what we're made for and we're trying not to set up camp here because this isn't the, this isn't home. Mm. This is the holding ground or 
you know, it's a bad way to put it, but this isn't home mm-hmm. and home is real and we're, we're on our way there. Mm. There's something in that that's, I think, incredibly Eucharistic that I'm sure you've thought of before, but that it's this idea of I go receive the Eucharist, not sure I, I just go turn around and tell somebody, hey, you should go to mass, but because like it's something that I then get to hold on to and go back to again and again and again. It's not a one shot thing. We've had you on the show before talking about healing and how it's never this finished process, but is this ongoing walk. And and it was actually, so the last time I interviewed y'all, I was convicted. I called my therapist like a couple of days later and was like, I think we need to increase our sessions <laughs> just because mm-hmm. I feel like we're moving too slowly. And I'm not trying to rush through the process, but I think there's more to go back to. And this idea of we're we're going to rest in an idea, we're going to swim around in these concepts and live them ourselves. I think that's incredibly true of your story in a lot of ways a concept that you can talk about from an intellectual perspective, but something that you've lived. Can you share with us? I mean, if you're unlocking the heart, it's because it's been done in your life. When did the heart of Heather and Jake Kim, the heart join together in marriage? When did that become unlocked? What's that story of healing? And and then we'll kind of tie in the Eucharist in all of that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, you know, this is an ongoing journey. Mm -hmm. So it's been a series of things being unlocked and still that's happening right now, like as we went to counseling yesterday, you know, like (laughs) in all transparency, there's different seasons that God just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's, that's something that's actually really hopeful is that Christ wants to go all the way down, like into every area of darkness, wounding, pain, where there's shadows, where there's hiding, like shame. He wants to get into the bottom and heal it all. And I think many of us are like, "Uh, how about the surface? You know, (laughs) let's just stay right there. And so we were faced with this opportunity. I would say it's an opportunity to go deeper and allow him to go under the surface. And it was, we were married for two years. I was thinking, hey, we're not in the honeymoon phase anymore. We, we got this. Like we are like, you know, in sync, we got everything together. Like it's so real, you know, all of this stuff. I remember thinking that. And then there was one day that we had just had our first daughter. And so we were new parents and all of that. And I remember Jake, you know, was talking to me about someone that he was helping. And he said, yeah, you know, I told him to go to this priest, you know, to talk to him about his pornography issues because this priest is really good at that. There was just something, and I will say now in hindsight, it was the Holy Spirit just in my heart that had me pause there. And there was just a big question mark. And that was a decision right there. Do I ask Mm. or do I just hold this? And so I said, how would you know that? And that was like a really frightening question to ask, you know, but I felt this prompting from the Holy Spirit. And then again, Jake was there sitting with the same thing. He had a choice to make. And was he going to tell the full story Mm. or was he going to stay in hiding? And he chose to be really courageous. And in that moment, he said, you know, he just had this whole confession come out of his addiction to pornography, which had been there for a long time. And he had been trying so hard to root out of his life, but it was still there unbeknownst to me. And that moment I've looked back on and said many times, that was, that was the worst day. Like my heart just fell right into my shoes. Like we both just wept Mm -hmm. for days. (laughs) And that was just the beginning, but that was also the best day. Mm. Because it it was finally real. It was finally honest, you know. 
And God can do so much when we crack open the door and and we're honest and we let him into the places that we've been in hiding and imprisoned by shame. Mm. And so that that was the beginning of us having an unlocking of our hearts. It was like, oh my gosh, there's brokenness here and we need Jesus to come in. And through a whole series of things, you know, counseling and mentorship and accountability and you know, all of these things that that we both were were doing in the process of healing, God was doing so much more, you know, with our little, like it was like our little loaves and fish. Well, we'll go to counseling, you know, and then and then he was doing this amazing work within the heart. And and over time, you know, this is something that Jake experienced a miraculous healing mm-hmm. in this area and has never gone back to that sin before, which most people are like, really? Come on, you know, and that and that's the part of us that doubts like. Is God really who he says he is? And and those are the moments that we're faced with that, like, very sort of like scary question. Like, I, I've heard about this Jesus who could raise people from the dead and heal them. But but is that Jesus real in my life? And and will he do the same for me? And And the only way that we know is if we open the door to that and we get really honest and we invite him there. And I, I think in particular, you know, as we focus on Eucharist today in this conversation, that was the sustaining like presence of God and his healing power that held the whole journey together. You know, like in, we sometimes just think, oh, I go to mass on Sunday and I do this, I do this. It becomes like routine. And it's like, no, 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 there's nothing routine about this. This mm-hmm. is covenant. This is like God's covenant with us that he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, and I will never leave you. And then as it comes into, you know, New Testament, it's things like Christ now lives in me. And there is nothing small about that, especially when it comes to our pain and our wounds, which we often think, oh yeah, those are in me too, you know? But when Christ is there and we have this deep experience and knowledge and then reference point for how that changes us. Yeah. I mean, this is the fullness of life right here. You see, you said something about courage in that. And that's what, that was my question, Jake. Like, there was a moment of having to be courageous to, it sounds very casual to say this, to fess up, but to really like own it and like owning what we've done wrong and owning that, that hurt and that shame and that addiction could not have been easy. Why in that moment did you choose to finally say, yeah, like this is what I've been struggling with? Honestly, I, I don't know. It wasn't like it was strategically planned I think Heather says it really well, like the Holy Spirit was very present in that moment. And it's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't present all the other moments where I was hiding and lying. But I mean, I can remember it very clearly and my heart is pounding in my chest. And I think what happened was I was tired. I was so tired of the addiction. It's not like I wanted it, but I chose it. Mm. And that incongruency and hypocrisy is a lot to walk around with. And so I don't know why that time I said, I'm going for it, Mm. but it was the best decision I made. And it was horrifying. Like, cause you're literally standing on the edge of a cliff and it's darkness below you. And you're going, I hear a voice saying, jump. And that's crazy. That sounds crazy Mm. because I don't see anything below me that's going to secure me or make this work. I just have this promise or this, you know, revelation or voice saying, come, like, trust me, jump. And I don't like to 
you know, make it sound easy because that wasn't easy. The process wasn't easy, but was it worth it? There is no question whether or not it was worth it. And, you know, as cliche as it might sound, I would do it all over again. I wouldn't do the addiction all over again and hurt Heather and all that. But the point is, is I would go right back to that moment and and the years of recovery from that. I think a lot of people hear our story at times and I like to just make it, I like to say the the reality of it. It wasn't a, you know, Jesus appeared in our room and a bright light snapped his finger. And then I never, like, that was not the case at all. There was a lot of cooperation with grace. There was a lot of yeses, little and big. There was a lot of community support. There was Mm -hmm. a ton of transparency on my part. And growing of the will. Yeah. Like the will, we call it the will muscle, you know. (laughs) So there was like a number of things that didn't seem to relate to a pornography addiction, but like fasting and prayer and the accountability, like all of these things where you have to, you don't feel like it. There's nothing that feels good about that. Mm -hmm. But you're engaging your will to choose the right thing, which when you strengthen that, it gets strengthened for every other area, you know? So I think that was a significant part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things when I, when people ask me, I get asked this question a lot, like I can't seem to stop. I, you know, have this addiction or that addiction. I can't seem to stop. And and one of the things that I think is really important to reflect on is motivation. Like what motivates you? And then leveraging those motivations. Now, some people would argue motivation is just an emotion. And I would say, Emotions are by given to us by God, and they're part of the movement system of the human person. Emotion, the root word is actually motion or movement. They're meant to move us. And when they're ordered by reason and in the right way, they move us toward what is good. So one of my motive, I had two major motivations. One, the fear of losing Heather. That was a huge motivation for me. Mm. The other one, I hate losing. And so those two things together were a very strong motivation for me. And that propelled me. That was a big part. So my emotions were cooperating there. And I am easily inspired. So I had some really cool people around me who were very good at inspiring me. And, you know, like men who were a season ahead of me who were saying things like, I want you to go watch Gladiator. And your gladiator and all and you know commodus and all these other people are the addiction and they just put me in situations where my soul and my heart were brought back to authentic masculinity were Mm -hmm. brought back to opportunities to be strong etc and that motivated me and motivation comes and goes but when you can have other people around you keeping you motivated it that's a really good thing but if i can shift gears a little bit something just in my reflection and and preparation for today you know I was thinking about yeah how does the eucharist work with all of this stuff and there's something that heather and i learned and when we're getting our theology degrees and it's a latin phrase and it's lex orande lex credende and then it'll take a second to explain but it, it it helps a ton and it basically means the law of prayer is the law of belief or the law of worship is the law of belief basically it means when you go into mass you're not just experiencing a worship service or you know a liturgy you're also experiencing a catechesis mm-hmm. there's a teaching that's occurring but that teaching is made flesh and given to you it's like the ultimate human experience it's like watching the movie but then you get to go into the movie and so 
that that's what that phrase basically means. And so when you when you zoom in on the consecration, there are these four things that Henry Nouwen talks about in Life of the Beloved. Uh, it's actually in Bob Schutz's book too. So you check that out, Be Transformed. But this little like sequence is extremely accurate to healing and it's what's going on in the mass, but it's also what goes on in our personal lives. And the centerpiece of it is the Eucharist. And so it's like from Matthew 26, 26, where Jesus says he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. So taking it, blessing it, breaking it, giving it. That is the healing journey right there. And it's summarized in this fast, quick little moment in the scripture. But when you hear that, and then you receive the Eucharist, that's the fullness of the healing journey. So taking us where, you know, Jesus is like, I want you with all your darkness and all the things that aren't great. I choose you and I bless you. And blessing is, it's like, okay, sure, you can be around me. But blessing means I give you life. I'm going to give my life to you. And here's the third one's the tough one. Everybody likes to run for the hills. He breaks hmm. us. And breaking is the concept of I'm going to break open the facades. I'm going to break open the walls. I'm going to break open the things where you're doing life apart from me. And there, there's a ton of consent that goes on there. Jesus doesn't force. And then he gives us. And what does he give us? Two things. He gives us ourselves back. He like gives us ourself. That's exactly what happened to me. That's not who I was mm -hmm. in the addiction. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus did this long process of giving me back to myself, which is an incredibly dignified, kind, mm -hmm. incredible thing to do. And then he gives me back to the people in my life and world and community to go and love like he loves. And so all of that is like consummated as Jesus is doing this and with himself in the Eucharist, he then gives it to me and mm -hmm. says, go do what I have done. And so it's a cool idea, but when you're at the Eucharist, you actually receive it. There's, it's like, you know, watching a, one of those relaxation things where it's raining or you're in a waterfall versus actually being in the rain <laughs> and under the waterfall. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different experience. One's a cool idea. Another one is actually tangible. That's the game changer of the sacraments and of the Eucharist. And so there's a little catechesis on healing right there. And it's all summed up right there in the liturgy mm -hmm. of our entirety of our lives. One, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm going to be sitting with that Mike, for quite Mike some time. Drop, yeah, yeah, like the episode's over, folks. Just go listen to that section over <laughs> a few times. As you were talking and I'm sitting there thinking, I've read that book. I think I kind of forgot that just because life is busy and you just... Most of the time I go to mass these days, I'm wrangling children. And so really entering into that mystery is very hard when you have a two-year-old who's obsessed with stained glass windows and trying to tap them. But the thing that I kept going back to was, you know, standing at, at Steubenville Youth Conferences when Jesus is walking among the crowd, quite literally among the crowd of teenagers. And there's two things that happen. There's people who bow their heads out of reverence, but I, I think sometimes out of I'm just going to call it because I've done this like shame, like I am not worthy to look. Mm -hmm. And it's not mm -hmm. like a reverent unworthiness. It's a, it's a scared unworthiness. Yeah. Like I'm mm -hmm. not allowed to look at him or this moment of I'm, I'm in a sunbathe. Like I'm quite literally going to look at Jesus in the Eucharist and just let him 
wash upon me. And I want to go to this, that person whose head goes down, that person who stays in the pew on Sunday and doesn't go receive communion, that person who avoids mass completely, not out of a lack of belief, but out of a fear that they're not worthy to go through that moment of being taken and blessed and broken and given. Why do you think people resist allowing that to happen in their life? And how do we help them to a deeper understanding of, no, no, that's like what you're made for. Yeah, that's, it's it's so good. I mean, it's such a deep question. And just where my head went right away is like, most of us, when we're in, and I think all of us have had those thoughts and feelings at different times, whether it's the constant or not. I mean, I think some people have it more than others, but I think it, it resonates for us individually on various levels. Like there's places where I don't know if I'm lovable. Mm. And and that is like strikes at the heart of like where the enemy can take things in our life that have happened, situations, things that people have said, things that parents should have done, like rightly should have done that they didn't do or things they shouldn't have done. And they happened, you know, or other people that we cared about. And, and th- what the enemy does with situations like that is he tends to speak about our identity to try to rip apart the identity that God has given us as beloved sons and daughters and twist it into, you are not loved. You are not seen, or this never would have happened to you. You know, like this is what he does in the garden. Like He just starts twisting things to where they start doubting that God's heart towards them is good. Mm. Even recently, I, I found myself in a Eucharistic chapel, just standing there, you know, talking to the Lord about a bunch of things. I was like, Hey, this, 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 you know, can you pray for this person? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like all that stuff. And he was like, Hey, Hey, remember this area? You went to counseling the other week. Will you just let me love you there? Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, Lord. Okay. We're going, we're going somewhere (laughs) different. I wasn't expecting. But I think that's actually always the question that God has for us. Will you let me love you there? And that heals the shame. That heals the places where we feel isolated, where we feel like we've been abandoned. Mm-hmm. And and I think the Eucharist in particular, and Dr. Bob Schutz talks about that, is that the Eucharist heals the wound of abandonment, where we believe that we will be left, that no one will come for us, mm-hmm. that that we're not worthy of of being loved like that, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that that's my first few thoughts. Jake, how about you? Yeah. I mean, what it reminds me of is in... I don't know the years, but I feel like it's the 1800s and in France where Jansenism was strong. And what Jansenism is, was this bishop who was teaching people that they were terribly unworthy of the Eucharist. And like a lot of things that are heretical, because that's what the church had declared that to be as a heresy, is it's a half truth. Meaning some of this is true and then it hooks you. And if you don't hear the whole truth, you'll stop in the half truth and make a home there. Mm -hmm. And that's not good. Mm -hmm. So when I hear people, you know, putting their heads down, there is a partial truth of I'm not worthy. But the, the full truth is, yeah, we aren't ever worthy to just take God for granted. But he is sent a gigantic invitation for us to come and receive. And so often for people, the head is hung in shame, maybe because of sin. Well, confession, that's the doorway to unlocking going back to the Eucharist. And I think 
that might be where people go, I can't say this to somebody. I can't go there and address this. And, and there's where the enemy's really getting after someone. But if the person isn't in a state of mortal sin, then there's a, a heretical dynamic that's going on where the belief is, I can't even look at him. I can't even do this. I'm, I'm too bad. And there's all kinds of beliefs going on on the heart. And I, I don't say this to go, oh, come on, lift your head up and look at him. That's, that's like somebody forcing a hug. That's like awkward and weird and it never works. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the invitation is from love himself. And so if there isn't anything on our soul, you know, any mortal sin on our soul that needs to be addressed in the sacrament of confession, then we must believe something about ourselves and or him mm. that isn't true. And he will continue to invite for us to lift our head, you know, to look up. Like John Paul II would talk all the time about gazing on the face of Jesus that could be mm -hmm. equated to contemplative prayer, which everyone's called to be a contemplative. That's not a superpower for the saints. That's meant to be the norm is we're all meant to be contemplatives. And so I just, I feel for the person, honestly, if I was there and, you know, and that was the case and I could go into a little quiet, safe room with them, I'd want to explore what they're telling themselves. Mm -hmm. And I'd want to hear like, what's going on inside? And my hunch is they'd be hearing really loud statements in their head, like you're terrible, you, because this happened or you did this or this happened to you, there's no way he could love you. And then we'd be dealing with the, the real kind of root of the problem. Mm -hmm. And then the invitation would be to like, to really actually come to know who he actually is instead of who we project on to him. Mm -hmm. And I would say also that like, Often we we can do that and we we are diminishing ourselves and our, you know, our own dignity and all of that. But we also are diminishing the work of God, you know, that he, Jesus came and died on the cross for us and and brought us into his family. Like, and this is baptism, right? Like we are brought into the family of God and this is what makes us worthy. It's not because of who we are, the great things we've done or how many rosaries we've prayed. It is the, it is all because of the work of God. It is all grace, all gift. And so it's actually just receiving the gift. It's not that we have to do more or make ourselves worthy somehow. It's receiving the gift. So even going to confession, it's not our work. It's like it's receiving the gift. And and it just like there's scriptures that I think can anchor us in this truth. I always go back to scripture. If I'm struggling, I need scripture. This is God's very word, which is living and active that can come and make its home in me to start speaking in like almost like echoing through my very being mm -hmm. the truth where there might be lies. So I'm thinking right now about Second Peter where it says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people set apart, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm like, let's go. Like, that's the kind of stuff that speaks to those parts of me that I start to go, oh, I can't do this. I can't. And it's like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. God, and that's not something to be prideful about. That's just, like I said, an incredible gift. And I think St. Therese, little flowers, like, the perfect combo of like that humility, but the confidence mm -hmm. in God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, if God is who he says he is, then that Eucharist is what he said it is. And like, he didn't, 
you mentioned Jansenism and my head immediately went to how that heresy came about at a time when I think a lot of worthlessness was being felt in the world, like historically. And also it's in France, in Lourdes, in fact, where Eucharistic processions were popularized, going to people who were often deemed unworthy and broken and quite physically ignored. And Jesus was brought as close as possible to them. Mm. even in the feeling of like, I'm here because I'm broken. And so this that has been broken for me is being brought close to me. I mean, you can't help but sit here and think like, is this really what revival actually is? Is just people coming to a deeper understanding of that? And whether Mm -hmm. it's happening in massive football stadiums or around kitchen tables or while listening to a podcast, like revival at its heart is just people understanding that he wouldn't have given him to us to himself in this way unless he wanted us to receive him in this way. Unless we were worthy of doing so, and not not worthy of doing so in the sense that like I've earned it, but like because he's made me to do this, like this is the mm-hmm. thing, this this and only this, and you know Heather, I know you've popularized a phrase lately, like why not become totally fire? Like is this the way we do that? <laughs> like tell mm-hmm. us, tell mm-hmm. us maybe how. Mm-hmm. So you're in Canada, which is sometimes not a super Catholic place. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. I've I've done in events general, yeah. I've done events in Canada before and I've walked away thinking like I don't know if that had any effect. Not because mm. the people weren't incredibly lovely and kind, but just because I know that like there's this culture war sometimes of like living the faith. And I know that that's like life restoration Canada came about because you wanted to unlock people's hearts but because you saw a real need. You've perceived these realities, you've come to understand it in your <clears> own life, you've lived in the reservoir of it. How have you seen translating this into people's lives maybe make a difference in in at least your pocket of the church in Canada? Um, and, and what, I mean, let's, let's just like talk even within your own family. Like what has this understanding done within the lives of your kids, within your neighborhood, with these people that you work with and minister with day by day? Hmm. It's a, I have so many things that I could say. Like you're you're right. Like I mean, in Canada in general, and I I travel all over at different places in the U.S. We've lived in the U.S. Jake's American, you know. So we've lived in a lot of really like beautiful places and engaged with a lot of even places that just have like a lot of history with Catholicism, like in the South where you're from, Katie. Like there's a lot of Catholic culture mm-hmm. there, and that's just not something I've seen here in Canada in various places. I'm I'm sure there's little, and there's wonderful little communities. It's not to say that the church isn't alive, but in general, there, there is like a, it feels like this is mission land here. Mm. It feels like there is a very like oppressive fog that is uh, among a lot of people. It, It doesn't matter whether you're in the church or not, you know, but just like an isolation and and all all of those things, just a lack of access to wonderful things. There's there's an isolating factor here. And so I think part of what we've been trying to do is bring people, gather people, and, and bring them into relationship with Jesus and with one another. This is the image that we were made in. God is a family of life and love. And he has made us in his image to participate in the Trinitarian life, but also with each other in community. And and I really think that this is how the Lord heals a lot of wounds is through relationship, through community, through spiritual motherhood and fatherhood and brothers and sisters and and families coming together. Like the more that we are isolated, I think it gives the enemy so many opportunities to tear us apart. Mm. So so that is part of the work that we do is in just trying to like gather people together and also through like a familial love 
and, and that extends beyond our, you know, immediate family. Like, yes, we have three children. We love our kids. Uh, we hope they love us. You know, so, mo- some days it's questionable, but most <laughs> of the time I think they do, you know. But even here where I would say it's very, very difficult, there's not youth group, there's not this, there's not all the extras. So mm. going to mass and the sacramental life of the church is everything for us. So when the pandemic happened and they stopped people going to mass and there was seven and a half months that we couldn't go to mass, mm-hmm. it was, you know, it's like you don't know what you got till it's gone. <laughs> yeah. There was such a deep, it's hard to describe, Katie, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, yeah. the ache the ache that occurred. Like I had never not been in a church except for like being sick on a Sunday once, you know? So after four months, like there was, there was one priest who said we could go to confession there. And I walked into the church and it just caught me so off guard. Mm -hmm. And I just started to weep for like 30 minutes. Like I just like, just wept Mm -hmm. in the church. In a way it was a blessing, Mm -hmm. you know, to not have the reception of the Eucharist for so long I would never want to have that happen again. But it was like a it was like a, a reality check mm-hmm. of like, you know, sometimes we can just wander in, wander out, meh, you know, be sort of like e- either way about it, you know, wishy-washy. And when it's gone, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Then then you realize how important it is in your life. And and if it isn't important, you know, like now is the time. There's it's never too late. I mean, this is how God wants to give himself to us. This mm-hmm. isn't a joke. This isn't just a ceremony. It isn't just like a nice service. Like <laughs> Jesus is offering his very life and he wants to come into us. This is John 15, abide in me. I want to abide in you. Like he's all about intimacy and union and everything that our hearts are aching for. Who cares about the job we didn't get or this tragedy that's happening? Although it matters, like what matters most is this mm-hmm. intimacy because through all of the tragedies when Christ is with us in us healing us loving us in all of those deep places that changes everything we i feel like i can get through anything when that awareness and lived reality is happening mm-hmm. inside of me hmm. yeah heather that's beautiful when i think about canada several images come to mind for me And I think there's some nuancing that's important. Like one Mm -hmm. of the things that I think we chuckle about is I grew up in the Southern United States, which is fairly conservative. And that was the norm for me and love that resonates is true for me. And so coming to Canada was a bit of a culture shock because just the, the culture is far more liberal and things that are maybe now happening in this in the United States from a political perspective, it feels like they've been happening in Canada for a long time. And I think, you know, one of the reactions that I think we've seen and noticed here, and it's not universal, it's just one of the things we've seen and reacted. It's like, you know, when a building is burning down, the tendency is to get out of there, run away and go to a safe place. And our experience is that that's often the the disposition of heart for groups of catholics here run away from the culture get as far away from it as possible because it'll it's burning you it will kill you and there's truth in that and what heather and i have felt in some ways is like those weird people who are going into the burning building Mm. instead of running away from the burning building and we're looking around going do you not realize that the fire won't stop with the building it'll destroy the entire country mm. if somebody doesn't try to put it out or do something about it. And so we we feel a little upstream in that experience. Mm. 
And I think another one that has struck us, you know, and it's just something that's interesting, observations for people to reflect on and notice. And one of those is what I think a confusion about the church's teaching on what is called our primary vocation. And I think that's interpreted as our only vocation. Mm. The confusion is the difference between primary and solo or only. And so we hear my primary vocation is my marriage or my spouse and my children, my family. And a lot of people, I think, hear that and go, well, that is my only vocation. Where if you read the church's documents, that's not the case at all. The church doesn't teach that at all. And even the Eucharist is an expression and celebration of a community of families coming together and a community of families going, being sent back out into the world. And there's where the breakdown, I think, happens is we come to church with our family. We wave at the other family. We all receive the Eucharist together. Then we leave as a family, we don't talk to the other families, and we come back next Sunday as a family, and we call that parish life. Mm. I, I don't think that's any way to transform a culture. And so I, I don't think we're supposed to have a solo vocation of my spouse and kids, and that's it. I, I don't believe that. That's why it's called primary, as opposed to like, only mm -hmm. the only vocation it means it's supposed to get your primary attention and effort but there are secondary vocations and one of the things of some of the families we've seen here that are awesome is that their family will go and feed the poor with other families like now we're talking mm -hmm. because then the kids share the awkward experience together or the kids uh, look out for each other you know that to me is where culture gets shifted as opposed to I hunker down, don't talk to me. We we run away from the burning building. Like that that's not like Matthew 28 is pretty clear. Go and make disciples of all nations, not run away from the culture and hunker down until I come again. Yeah. That's the gospel for this coming Sunday. Hmm. Or when this airs oh, yeah. the previous Sunday. I love that. That it's not. I always talk about that, at least with our family, like our faith is personal, but it's not private. Like it's ours, mm -hmm. but it's not a secret. And and that all came about because we slapped a monstrance sticker on the back of my minivan, because I'll be darned, we're in the midst of Eucharistic revival. We're going to tell people <laughs> right next to it is a Ted Lasso Believe sticker. So I feel like I'm advertising awesome. <laughs> a favorite TV show and the Eucharist together. And And Rose, my five and a half year old, is entering into that phase of like, Mommy can sometimes be embarrassing. She's still putting us into yeah. dance mode sometimes in public, which is great because it's like you still yeah. have that little fun spirit. But she saw the back of the minivan the day that I pulled up at school to pick it up and a friend asked her what that pointy thing was on the back of the van. And part of me was annoyed that, okay, this kid doesn't know what a monstrance is and you're going to Catholic school. I know you know what a monstrance is. Don't pick on my kid because of this. Mm. And Rose asked, why did we have to put that on the back of our car? And it led to this whole mm. conversation of it's personal, but it's not secret. It's ours, mm. but it's meant to be something that we we show the world. I want to shift gears here, and we're, everybody's just going to have to be okay that I'm keeping you on the line. Uh, if the episode, <laughs> I'll let you go in like five minutes. <laughs> but I want to no, ask good. this question because I think I think it's an important one. In the midst of revival, we're supposed to be extending out. You're doing this work to try to encourage people in the midst of a burning building. Now you're. 20 plus years into this healing journey. What does revival mean 
to the Kims right now in 2023? Like what would revival in your family and in your heart and in your ministry and in your marriage, what does that look like? And then how can people maybe come to a, a defining of that for themselves? We've had people ask us this in various ways, you know, like what does your marriage look like post addiction and all of that. And something that Heather and I take very seriously is that we're not called to mediocrity. That is not a way of life. That's not an invitation. That's not from God. So when I think about revival, the root word of that is revive, which is putting life back into something. And so for us, what that looks like is a continual trusting examination of our individual lives, of our marriage and of our family. Where is it dead? And what needs life there? And life himself, he loves that. Like that's, I, I think if you're ever going to get God giddy, <laughs> it's going to be when there's high faith with something dead. And he loves to bring that stuff back to life. Now, again, it's not necessarily wrapped up in a nice two-hour Hollywood cinema. But the Hollywood cinemas do tell us the general path of the story. And that's why they resonate with our souls. So what's dead? Not being content with that being the end of the story and continuing to press into those areas with a lot of faith and a lot of trust. Another way to say it would be in my men's group, we have this statement of, are we going to the last 10%? Meaning you kind of talk about most things, you know, we address most things, but then there's that stuff you don't look mm -hmm. at. And so I, I think that's what, what it looks like for us is what's the last 10% that it's like, no way. I mean, I'm doing good, like 90%, that's an A, like, let's just be happy with that. And you know, the last 10%, I think, is where a lot of great stuff happens. So, mm. but Heather, what would you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, you know, the healing journey, as you said right at the beginning, Katie, it never ends. And I wish it would. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the feeling often. I'm like, please, yeah. God, can we be done with this? Like, this is so hard. Like, and and life is hard. And there's some wounds that are very deep. And they've started from the very beginning of our life. And that's where I meant like Jesus wants to go all the way down. And we could have said years ago, okay, Lord, we're done. Mm -hmm. and we'll just settle right here. And like Jake referred, you know, I love JP too. And there's a quote where he says, do not allow yourselves to be ground down by mediocrity. And I went to World Youth Day. That message was preached. It just burned. It seared itself on my heart. And there's, it, there's pain that comes with that because you're like, well, it's going to hurt. I'm going to have to dig deeper. I'm going to have to go deeper. But, but the constant reminder to me is that we are not alone in this. It is not just our work. It's not, you know, we mm -hmm. have to keep opening the doors for God to go all the way down. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what he's doing right now in both Jake and I and in our family, you know, mm -hmm. he's going down deeper than we've ever gone before. And I, I was sitting with a friend in, I was saying, you know, I feel like I'm like looking into the abyss. You know, it's just like so dark, you know, yet I feel like the presence of God here so strongly, you know, but it's just all I see is darkness. And he said, Heather, have you heard about Christ in the abyss? And I was like, what? You know, and he just said, there's this statue that was made by this artist and it's like 11, 12 feet tall. 
and he sunk it to the bottom of the ocean. And it's called Christ in the abyss. And it's a figure of Christ with his arms and his head raised up to the surface. And, and on it is part of Psalm 139 where it says, and even though I go to the depths, you are there. That is the hope, is that Jesus never leaves. That's the Eucharist, right? Jesus never leaves. When all else fails, when everyone else bails on you, when, when, when people are inconsistent and they, they don't keep their end of the bargain, Jesus never, ever leaves. Mm. And that is the reminder every time I go to Mass, he never leaves me. I should tell people you shared that statue. You shared that about, you remember our car ride from the airport hotel? Yeah. To, yeah. I don't even know where we were headed, like 30 minutes away. Yeah. First time we'd mm -hmm. ever really like spent time with each other, just one-on-one -on -one besides, you know, getting mm -hmm. to hang out a given. And you shared that with me. I, I remember Googling it and thinking like, man, I would learn how to swim and scuba dive just to go see that statue. <laughs> like just to <laughs> yeah. go see that. But, you know, I don't yeah. think we have to just go see it. Like, that's something that we feel, like, deep in our hearts, mm -hmm. this awareness that that's, that's where you're going to go. Heather, mm -hmm. Jake, thank you all so much for sharing with us. Where can we follow you? Tell us the name of your podcast one more time and where we can learn more about the work that you do. And, heck, maybe make a trip up to British Columbia to, <laughs> to come to a life mm -hmm. restoration event. Yeah. Yeah, you need to, Katie. Just come for a visit. But you can find us like on Instagram and Facebook, Life Restoration Ministries. Our website is liferestoration.ca. But also Jake's podcast, Way of the Heart, that's more geared towards men and Restore the Glory that he does with Dr. Bob Schutz, which is more about healing and wounds. And it's just a beautiful podcast. And then I have one called Abiding Together. The book I wrote is called Abide, A Pathway to Transformative Healing and Intimacy with Jesus. And that can be found on Amazon, but more importantly, on the Ave Maria Press <laughs> website. <laughs> but individually, we're on Instagram and all that as well. So, yeah. We'll put all the links down in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for sharing. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Katie. This was truly such a great conversation. I got to chat with Heather and Jake just last week. We had to reschedule the interview because of some stuff that had come up with my family. So it was incredibly providential that we were able to get the interview in time and that they were able to give us an hour of their time. Truly some great insights. You should go find all of the resources that they mentioned. We have the links down in our show notes, including Dr. Bob Schutz's book, Heather's book, Jake's podcast, just wonderful people to follow and to learn from. You know, They said something in the conversation about how the Eucharist as this, this source of healing, it, it's not that, that source that, oh, I just go grab it off the shelf, now I've got the Eucharist, everything's going to be better, but this, I return to Jesus in the Eucharist again and again and again. I do my absolute darndest to bring about opportunities for others to encounter Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and to be restored in different ways. Check out their work, liferestoration.ca. So many incredible things that they're doing with their ministry and so many great insights that they shared today. If you appreciated this episode, if you enjoyed this conversation, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends, with your family, post a review of our show so more people can find it. We are really proud of what we create here and we'd love it if you'd tell other people about it. You know, as we've been doing with all of our podcasts this season, at the end of the episode, we've been giving you a little bit of a bonus conversation with one of our Eucharistic preachers from the National Eucharistic Revival. Today, I was able to sit down with Father Joe Laramie, talking about the Eucharist as a source that leads us closer to the sacred heart of Jesus, which of course should be the center of our home. So enjoy that conversation now. Father Joe, welcome back to Ave Explorers. Thanks, Katie. 
So we are doing these little kind of bonus concluding conversations at the end of all of our episodes to try to be as practical as possible when it comes to our understanding of the Eucharist. Because I think a lot of people, we've said this in some of our others, they they hear these stories or they hear, oh yeah, these people have a relationship, but then they don't know how. So we've had conversations about how to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament or you know Eucharistic miracles and what that actually looks like. Today, I want to ask you, Father Joe, what does it mean to bring the Eucharist home? Amen. I'm going to focus on uh, giving and receiving. So Jesus gives us himself in the Eucharist. We receive communion. And really, we want to let that take root in our hearts, and then we want to offer our hearts back to him. Now, we do this at Mass. The priest says, lift up your hearts. And, you know, I say it, but I try to do it too, right? right. Lift our hearts to the Lord. We receive them in communion. Well, let's keep that going back at home. This sacred heart devotion is dear to my heart. Could be having a little image of the sacred heart in your room, in your home. You know, even another image of Jesus or a saint can be very fruitful. But, you know, even for a few minutes when you get home from Mass, maybe say, thank you, Lord, for this gift. And I want to offer my heart back to you. For me, that's a fruitful way to continue the Eucharist. Tell us, let's make that connection between the sacred heart and the Eucharist for us. Because I think some people... That all they know of the sacred heart of Jesus is the image of often very white Jesus with long hair and like a heart in the center of his chest. And they're like, what's that? And, and we we actually have in our living room an image of the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart and St. Joseph's chaste heart, like all side by side. That- and my, my kids call it the fancy organ picture because it's like the organs of these <laughs> beloved members of the Holy Family. And that's about as far as the catechesis has gone with it because they're only five and two. But explain to us that connection between the sacred heart of Jesus and our understanding of the Eucharist. Sure. You know, for me, the best reminder of the sacred heart is my own being heart. So I really have a heart. I need it. I rely on it. Jesus has a living beating heart right now. He has a risen body, a glorified body. His heart beats with love for us right now. Good religious art can really help us to, I think, deepen and reflect on that image. You know, yeah, and there's some mediocre religious art that's a little corny or pokey. (laughs) And, you know, that's it's kind of fun in a way. I mean, I do appreciate it. You know, it can be just a simple way of reflecting of, okay, Lord, my heart (laughs) beats every day. Lord, your love for me is poured out every day, even moment by moment. You know, even these little things of like, okay, Lord, my heart, what's on my heart right now? My joys and sorrows, I want to bring those to you. Or Jesus, you went through this whole range of joy and sorrow in your own ministry. You know what it's like to have a hard day, uh, to have a joyful moment with family or with friends. And again, this kind of movement, we might even call it the kind of divine heartbeat of Christianity, right? Jesus draws us to himself in prayer, in the Eucharist, and then Jesus sends us out on a new mission, right? In my own home, at school, uh, in my workplace, to be you know, yes, a living witness. Maybe that's through words, through deeds. You know, and for me, just this image of his heart is just a way to kind of keep drawing me back there or recenter me and connect me to the Eucharist. Yeah, because when we receive the whole body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, like that's that's a reception of his heart in a very tangible way. In fact, in some Eucharistic miracles, it is heart tissue that we are we are shown. So to bring the Eucharist home is to is to make Jesus Christ the heart of the home to make his heart, which beats for us, the reason for our living. What are, you know, maybe 
families with little kids or families with teenagers who are fighting them on going to mass every Sunday or, or empty empty nesters, family looks very different for a lot of folks. There's maybe one or two very practical things people can do this weekend to make the sacred heart and to make this deeper understanding of the Eucharist at home a reality. Mm-hmm. There's a tradition of making a daily offering to the sacred heart that Jesuits are happy to promote, but it's, you know, for everybody, <laughs> the whole church, even all Christians. Again, it can be super simple, right? There's some forms you can find online, but it could be simply this, Lord Jesus, I offer you my heart and Lord, I want to receive your heart as you offer yourself to me today. Even it becomes this kind of little lens in a sense of like, how do I interact with people? Maybe it's somebody I work with who, yeah, is a little stressful, a little hard to be around. But, you know, as maybe I pray for Jim or Bob or Susie, maybe I notice, gosh, you know, actually his heart is really hurting. Like, mm. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. This guy is constantly kind of stressed out. And, you know, Lord, I want to feel some compassion for him instead of just being kind of <laughs> angry at him all the time. That My heart is maybe moved by compassion as I lift him up to the sacred heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Seeing in another, the way Jesus would see them. And like bringing the Eucharist home, I think that phrase people might think, wait, like I bring the host home? Like that's not allowed. Correct, that is not allowed. Like don't do that. But like you have become a living tabernacle, which means your approach to others should be fundamentally different. You didn't just go get the prize to come home and you know go right back into snapping at one another or getting annoyed incredibly easily or like being selfish. Like you now, your, your whole Sunday... I feel like families will relate to what I'm about to say. Like sometimes we'll walk into mass and like five minutes into mass, my husband and I will have to look at each other and be like, I'm sorry. Like we were like so stressed on the way out the door or like a child will lean over and be like, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been so slow with getting my shoes on mommy. Like we're immediately drawn back to like, okay, we're now in this place and the way we behaved before we walked in was not good. And so now when we leave, like our behavior has to change. Like there is a, there's a connection point there. But I love this, like every single day, just a very simple, Lord, I want to receive your heart and I want to give you mine, which disposes us more readily to being able to receive the blessed sacrament when we walk in that following week or whenever that next time might be. How, how do you as a priest, a Eucharistic preacher out on the road sharing with folks about the beauty of the Eucharist, how have you seen being tethered to the heart of Jesus Christ has shifted, has focused your ministry in different ways? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that image of his body and blood, right, poured out for us. Yes, in the Eucharist. Yes, in his sacred heart. There's only one Jesus, and Mm -hmm. he is honored under many titles. Good shepherd, priest, sacred heart. These are all true. Yeah, again, even what sometimes like noticing my own heart, like let's say I'm going into a meeting of, I don't know, other priests or at a parish. To do like a little mini heart check with the Lord. Okay, before I walk in this door and... Mm -hmm. I'm probably talking about the love of Jesus, for instance. Like, Lord, where's my heart? Am I going in a little stressed out? Am I going in with, I don't know, I'm nervous about somebody who's in that room. You know, to notice that, to bring that to the Lord, maybe let him speak a word of peace to me. Again, and even for folks, yeah, you're going off to school. You're Mm -hmm. going into your job for the day. You know, whether that's in the car for a minute, in the parking lot, like, okay, Lord, how's my heart? Like, if I'm going in kind of, with a sword that I want to <laughs> bring at somebody. Well, right. you know, maybe Jesus wants to take that away from me or say, look, take a deep breath. I'm with you. Yeah. You don't have to have all the answers. Maybe just listening is your call right now. 
again, I think that's just a good kind of constant go back to is his heart and my heart. Yeah, I love that. That's a, a great little nugget for folks. Father, we are letting everybody this season that we're bringing on in whatever capacity answer. I'm calling it the elevator pitch of you get 60 <laughs> seconds in an elevator with somebody and, and they, you just have a chance to preach to them. And I don't know who that person is, um, but you get 60 seconds. Maybe they're a believer. Maybe they've fallen away. Could be your mom. Like, I don't know who it is. You have to tell us who it is. And you have to tell us what you would share with them about the Blessed Sacrament in that minute that you have. Sure. You know, a heart-to-heart friendship, I'd say. Who's one person you're good friends with? Maybe, you know, they share a little nugget. Oh, gosh, yeah, my next-door neighbor, we've just gotten so close through, uh, you know, some gardening and shared projects. That's awesome. And how about what's what's one person who could be with you all the time in that heart-to-heart relationship? Maybe they're already a person of faith and they say, yeah, God's with me every day. Amen. You know, even a little more tangibly, okay, we have bodies. Jesus has a risen body. Like he still has a human body and a divine nature Yeah. that, okay, this Lord can be with us all day, every day, desiring this heart-to-heart friendship with us. The Eucharist as a high point there of communion with him, closeness with him. But then he wants that to continue to bear fruit, you know, mm-hmm. through my own beating heart, that that might be some image of his heart for others. That this is a heart-to-heart friendship that is ongoing. Yes, I love my friends. I love my Jesuit brothers. Sometimes I'm with them, sometimes not, but the Lord is always with me wherever I am. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Father Joe, where can we follow you? Where can we see all the great stuff that you do with the Papal Prayer Network? Thanks so much. Yes, I'm the National Director of the Apostleship of Prayer, which is the Pope's Prayer Network. We have a website at popesprayerusa.net. We're also on Twitter and social media. I have my own, my own little website, joelaramiesj.com. I'm also on social media. You can check out my book to learn more about this beautiful devotion. Awesome. Father Joe, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. grateful to Father Joe for giving us some time to talk about a topic that he loves and is very near and dear to his heart, the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Eucharist as a part of that. As always, this is part of our Ave Explorer series. We've said that before. We've probably said it to the point of annoying you, but we'd love it if you'd give the show a rating and a review and a follow. We'd be grateful if you signed up for the emails that come straight to your inbox that remind you about all the shows. We've got some incredible conversations still to come for this season, including with some folks from the National Eucharistic Revival's office. So make sure you're signed up so you don't miss a single thing. We'd be really, really grateful if you continue to journey with us through these conversations about the Eucharist. I'm certainly enjoying having the conversations. I hope you're enjoying listening to them. Know that we're praying for you wherever you happen to be in your journey of faith and are grateful that you joined us today. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.